This is Entrepreneurs Get Visible, the podcast for people who want more impact, influence, and income. I'm Anna Parker-Naples, and I'll be sharing with you proven methods from leading entrepreneurs that help you get visible as an authority in your field. Because anything's possible when you get visible. Hello, and welcome to the second episode of 2022. Although many of you might be binge listening to this podcast, so who knows when you're listening. But we're going to be talking about something today that I think is important to reflect on as an entrepreneur at any point of your business growth and your personal growth and development. And I've specially requested this guest to come in today for two reasons. One, she has an incredible amount of knowledge on this subject and has recently released her very first solo written book, uh, which we were responsible for producing in expert audiobooks. And two, because I think at this time of year, the beginning of the year, it is an opportunity to get really mindful about what you want to get focused on in terms of your wealth and your money. So today I'd love to introduce you to my very good friend, Catherine Morgan, who is, she's been, I think you're the only person that's been on this show three times. <laughs> so there we go. Three times um, so, lucky. Three times lucky. So Catherine, I wanted today to make sure that I extend the knowledge and depth and breadth of your amazing work to my community. So your book has recently been released, which is It's Not About the Money, which became an Amazon bestseller, which we've obviously worked together quite closely in order to produce the audiobook version coming to Audible very, very soon. And as I was reading that, I was feeding back to you, there are chapters in this book that will change people's lives, even if they didn't read the whole book, even if they were stupid enough to leave some of that on the table. And that's what you wanted with this book. This wasn't just something to build your brand. This was something that could have real practical and emotional input into people's lives. So I'm really curious then, for someone who is a financial expert, a financial planner, a financial coach, a financial trauma expert, why is it not about the money? Great question. And first of all, thank you for having me back for the third time, third time lucky. And it's so wonderful to talk about this subject, especially at this time of the year, because I always find that this time of the year is when people want to set really good intentions around money. But there's a couple of things that I find that people always make mistakes around. And this is kind of what I want to share today is about the the three things or the three mistakes that I see people making this time of the year is because when we talk about money, it's never really about the money, is it? You know, the, the way that we treat money is really a mirror reflection of the way that we treat ourselves. And that's the first place to start in order to improve your relationship with money in order to build more wealth, to make more money, be able to hold on to more of it, and then be able to grow it for our financial future, is we actually need to take a step back before we can take a step forward. So one of the things that a lot of people do this time of the year is they start to set financial goals. And one of two things happens is they either look at everybody else, and then they mirror their financial goals based on what everybody else is doing, or they make financial goals based on what they think they should be doing. And this shoulding approach, which I always feel like I'm swearing when I say that, <laughs> but you know, this shoulding approach is a behavior that happens when it's almost like this pressure that we feel, oh, I should be getting out of debt. I should be saving more money. I should be making more money. I should be doubling my 
profits in my business, you know, all this shoulding. And a lot of that comes from consumerism. And consumerism really is what drives our spending habits. You know, many of you will have noticed over Christmas, for example, that you get to the kind of couple of days before Christmas and you think, oh God, I haven't bought enough gifts. And you go frantically buying <laughs> more gifts for your family when they don't really need it. They don't really. I went into my daughter's room today and she's got things that she unwrapped Christmas Day in her stocking that she's literally not touched, probably won't touch most of the year. We do do all of those things. What was coming up for me as as you're talking about that shoulding, is that there's actually a lot of shame and guilt and feelings of I'm not enough in some capacity. I've not achieved enough or I don't deserve to have those things. And we try and compensate for that through spending by having the things, by being bought into the whole consumer mechanism. And I think as entrepreneurs as well, seeing people who are doing really well or or giving us that perception of tremendous amounts of wealth and success can be a really huge trigger. And actually, just before I came on this interview, someone had tagged me on Facebook along with four or five other women saying, I want to apologize publicly to these women because I, I unfollowed you for six months because I hated you. And I hated you because of the success that you represent. But really, I don't hate you. I hate that I haven't done it myself. Oh, so that's really interesting, right? Because if you if you dig into the language of that person with you know no judgment there, and actually that takes a lot of integrity and honesty to be able to share that. But when we write these I am statements, like I'm not good with money, I should be good with money, I'm a bad person because I'm in debt, you know, we use these shoulding statements and these shoulding statements become like a psychological cognitive distortion statement where we say I should be something, you know, and particularly when it comes to debt and especially this time of the year, people say I have debt, therefore I am bad. And they create these cognitive distortions around their sense of identity. And that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned, not just about my own relationship with money, but with people that I support, is that actually get curious to what is the language that you're using specifically with money, where you're connecting your sense of self, which is who you are as a person, as a human being, to money. And actually, if you step back and think about that, we are not money, right? We're not better to have more money. We're not better to have less money. We're not worse to have less money. But yet the perception is, is that we see people as successful when they have more wealth, or we see successful rich people as greedy and mean and horrible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you only have to think about films and things that we watch growing up that depict a woman of wealth to be horrible and mean or spoiled. You know, like I I grew up in the 1980s and sitcoms like uh, Clueless or films like Devil Wears Prada, you know, they don't depict wealthy women in in a good light, which means that wealth is not normalised for women. Where are the role models? Well, and this is the thing, right? Don't, what I want everyone listening to this episode today is not to wait for that role model because more women are creating more wealth now. Generationally, there's actually more women now that hold more wealth than men. And when women do hold more wealth and power in the world, we actually grow the economy faster because we invest in things that are more ethical, sustainable. You know, we invest in things that grow the planet. And so we often sit back and think, okay, well, I'll just wait for that to happen because it's not, you know, it's it's not for me. Wealth is not for me, it's for somebody else. And we hold on to these beliefs that, well, if I have the money, somebody else doesn't. And we limit our capacity to actually receive having money in the first place. 
or we limit our capacity to hold on to that wealth. And, and this is where overspending happens, where our self-worth is linked to our money or our net worth. And then we don't feel good enough to hold on to it. So we just find any excuse to get rid of that money as quickly as possible. One of the things you mentioned in your book, and I might not quite have the right terms here, was about the amount of women who become solely financially responsible because they've been widowed or divorced or separated or they've never had partnerships like that, but have never had any level of financial education. There's not even in their awareness. And then there's a great mass of stress around that and a lack of knowledge. And that really, that really made me sit up and pay attention, actually, because the chances are that that, that could be me. And I think many people reading your book will kind of say, actually, it is my responsibility. It's not a question of leaving it to my husband or or, or whatever relationships you have. Yeah, I mean, from a practical perspective, I think there's two bigger challenges for women. One is the fact that we are living longer, which you might think, well, how's that a challenge? Like, surely that's a good thing. It's a challenge in, in the fact that we often end up looking after aged parents, which puts pressure on our ability to create wealth because it often means we have to retire early from our employed positions, for example, or it has an impact on how we can run our businesses. And I've experienced that with, you know, with some friendships around me is that when we're having to look after aged parents, it has a huge impact on our physical health and our mental health. And that can create limitations on how we are able to build wealth. But also because we live longer, we do need to take some responsibility around money. And I think for a lot of women, we're quite comfortable to take control over the household purse. But when it comes to the more serious money conversations like investing, we kind of tend to shy away from that. And I think that 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 responsibility falls more down to the way that the media communicates to women specifically about wealth creation. If you think about, again, going back to the media examples, films are often around men being the main breadwinners or men investing on the stock market, for example. You know, we don't normalize that for women. So I think there's a lot of responsibility that the media needs to change with regards to how they educate women to, to start being interest, you know, interested or intrigued into investing for their future. But also we need to change some of the jargon. You know, there's so much jargon in the investing industry and there's so many ways that people can fall into investment scams that we just think, oh, well, I don't want to lose any money. And we go into that scarcity mindset again, that fear mindset. And so we don't take any action. And actually, the likelihood is that every single woman listening to this podcast interview will end up in a position in the majority of us where we outlive our partners or we go through a divorce or a loss of a partner in later life. And then we're left then in a position where we've suddenly got to deal with money and we've never dealt with it before. That creates this trauma environment around a subject that, quite frankly, is probably the last thing that you want to deal with when you've been through a divorce or the loss of a partner. And so to create some independence, financial independence and education now, before some of those traumas happen, is a really good thing to start thinking about this year in a small way, you know, it doesn't have to be you suddenly need to take charge of everything in your household, but just bringing awareness to, well, where are we investing our money? Where is my money going to in my pension? There's a word that you said that really strikes home for me, which is fear. And Catherine and I have known each other several, quite a few years now. And 
I used to get very, very scared at looking at my finances. I was one of those people, I, even if business was doing well, I didn't want to look at the, the bank account. And through a lot of work that I've done myself, I started to break down those barriers. And because I wasn't scared, which is the emotional side of it, the history I've had with money, my own environments to do with money, things I've been through in the past, and then feeling ready and open to explore the possibility that I can take control in those areas, then allows me to do the practical steps. And I think that's one of the things I really love the most about your work is that you're not just someone saying money mindset and you're not just a financial planner saying this is what you should do. Your work encompasses both. And I think that makes it quite unique in the space. Yeah, I think with fear, coming back to that emotion around money, you know, money is like a coin. It has two sides. It's got the practical sides, things that we ought to be doing. And it then has the flip side of that, which is all the emotional baggage that we carry around money you know, fear, guilt, shame, regret, anger, shame, responsibility, you know, all of these emotions, which are not negative, by the way. You know, a lot of people think, well, fear is negative. All of these emotions that we connect to money have a message behind them. So whenever I feel fearful about money, and this happens to me too, right? Even as a financial expert, I still get fear around money. As I'm up leveling my wealth, I still get these fears that come up. But I sit back and think, what what message does this fear have for me? Because fear often happens when we're stepping outside of our comfort zone, something that's not familiar to us. So of course, if you're going to be looking at your financial goals and intentions for, for this year, and maybe you've never done that before, or maybe you're setting yourself some goals that are much higher than you've ever set yourself before, it's going to feel scary. And that's okay, you know, because that fear is there to stretch that financial comfort zone that you probably just inherited from parents, grandparents, from future, sorry, from past generations. And that's the really interesting bit that I think that I love to get more curious around with my work is how actually every single belief that we carry about ourselves comes from our energy fields. It comes from prior generations that have passed those beliefs forward to every single future generation. And so actually the beliefs and the emotions that come up around money may not actually even belong to you and may not serve you. And the minute that you get to change, the minute you decide that I'm going to change my relationship with money, you're actually not just only changing your own financial situation and the emotions that you carry around it, but you're also going to change every single future generation ahead of you. And I think that's so, so powerful to be able to make that empowering statement that this is the year that I'm going to make those changes, not just for myself, but for my children, my grandchildren, my nieces, my nephews, you know, my brothers and sisters, every single generation around you. And then that just opens up huge possibility for independent financial growth for yourself, but you can expand that right out into your communities, into your friendship circles, into your relationships. And then you take that into all other areas and pillars of your life, you know, so your health, your relationships, your self-love, you know, your, your businesses, everything around you suddenly becomes a lot clearer because you're, you're no longer trying to avoid fear or guilt or shame, you're actually feeling safe enough to sit in that emotion and be able to explore what message does that emotion have for you? Because often it's just going to be there to keep you safe. And often those emotions will come from a place of trauma. And this is why 
looking at money through a trauma-informed lens is so important because all of the trauma of money memories that we have created throughout our life, if we don't like sit in them and acknowledge them and potentially look to heal from those traumas, they can go on to create physical illnesses, anxiety, you know, lots of other significant influences in our life. So learning to live in the here and now without shame, without blame, without guilt around money can then unlock all of those opportunities and growth for yourself. It's definitely about exploring what's inside the box, what's inside those emotions, those fears, those thoughts about yourself. Where do they come from? What do they represent? And what if they're not true? And that gives you enough impetus to then step outside and start implementing things that can financially change your situation. You alluded to what if you make you decide to look at those this year? Well, how do you do this? How do we go from actually deciding this is the year I need to tackle it to then seeing a difference in your personal wealth? How do we do that? So the first couple of steps that I would always recommend is, is to reflect back before you reflect forwards. So take stock of what is your relationship with money today? Are you in a position where you're great at making money, but maybe not so good at holding on to it? Or maybe you're not so good at making money, but you're great at saving, for example. And many people think that it's all about saving money. And and actually, it's not. There's a lot of people that I deal with that have a money disorder where they save so much money, but they never want to spend money on themselves, which then leads to lack of self-deserving and, and you know treating ourselves. And so the first thing I would recognize is, is to think about, well, what is my relationship with money today? What does that look like? And part of that then is about looking at some of those borrowed beliefs. And a really great exercise that I love to share when I talk to people about this is to grab a piece of paper and just start to draw out your family tree and start to think about what were some of the messages or the sayings that people said to you, or the behaviors that you observed when you were growing up. So they could have been from parents, caregivers, brothers and sisters, society at the time, magazines that you read, books that influenced you growing up, anything that just comes up around your relationship with money. And see if you can start to make some connections between people in your family. And when I did this exercise, for example, a couple of memories came up for me where I remember my dad used to have a a ceramic jar in his bedroom and he would come home from work from from the office and he would put all of his pound coins into this jar. I can't remember what he did with the coppers, which is really interesting in itself, right? And he put all of these coins, pound coins into this pot and he would put the pot to the back of his wardrobe and he would like put boxes in front of it to hide it away. And the two messages... When I drew that out on my family tree, the next question to ask yourself is what was the message that you attached to that experience or that belief? So when I wrote that memory down, I thought, what belief did I attach that? What meaning did I give to that experience as a six, seven-year-old little girl? And the message that I came up with was money has to be kept secret and look after the pounds and they'll look after the pennies. And some of you may even resonate with hearing some of those sayings as you were growing up. Um, And then you can start to think about, well, am I responding or behaving in the same way that reaffirms that belief? And how does that support me? And how does it sabotage me? So imagine you've got a coin in your hand. And for each belief that you identify, you've got one side of the coin, which is how is it supporting you? Flip it over. How is it sabotaging you? So in that example, I just shared with you how it's sabotaging me is, well, I have to keep money secret. And that definitely played out in my relationship with money in my 20s. I lived in debt shame cycles for years 
as a financial advisor. So I knew everything there was to know about money, but I still didn't take the right action. But how it supported me was it actually did encourage me about the importance of putting money to one side. And I still remember the joy of like emptying it at the end of the year and putting it into little plastic bags and taking it down to the bank. So see if you can identify key memories around your relationship with money, around your family tree. And that might bring up also some patterns of, well, maybe it was all the men that brought money into the household. And for women, that was never acceptable. Maybe women had to look after the children, for example. Or it might be that um, money was very frugal and or not a, not a lot of it. You know, maybe you experienced or witnessed bankruptcy with parents, businesses and things like that in your childhood. But just bringing some gentle curiosity to this exercise can just get you thinking about your relationship with money today. And then the next step is to start thinking about what are your desires for yourself for the next 12 months ahead? And this is a really important step. Many people don't do this. They just go straight to the financial goals. They go straight to the, I want to make 100 grand this year. And what they don't do is they don't break down, well, what do I actually desire this year? And there's an exercise in my book, actually, that you can have a look at that will help to guide you around this. But literally listing out 50 things that you desire and deserve for yourself for the 12 months ahead. And then you can start to think about giving every single pound that comes into your bank account a specific purpose. And in the book, we refer to this as the getting financially naked exercise. (laughs) This is like stripping everything back, looking at your beliefs, looking at the money that's coming in and giving it a purpose, allocating it to a specific pot that you can call your dentist pot, your holiday pot, your tax pot, your profit pot, your VAT pot, your Christmas pot, your birthday gifts pot your eat, pray, love, retreat pot, you know, something that is going to give you purpose for A, creating and having that money in the first place, but also holding on to it so that we're actually giving it purpose, which is much more empowering to move you towards financial goals that are embedded in pleasure rather than setting yourself a financial goal, which is moving away from pain. Mm. Then there's an important distinction there. Most people set goals around paying debt off, for example. I don't want to pay this 50K of debt off. Well, that's not particularly motivating because you're trying to move away from something that feels painful. It's only going to be short-term lived. It's a bit like, you know, setting health goals and losing two stone on the 1st of January. You know, it's, it's embedded in pain. So it's not likely to stick for very long. Whereas if you set your financial goals based on something that's really desirable, something that you're really, really excited Mm. to move towards, it's a lot more empowering. That positive emotion, how can you have more joy? And that's one of the things I've been looking at in, in my business and how I run my business and my version of success, that it's not about the money. It's actually about, well, how do I bring the freedom and expansiveness and joy to my life? So if my business can allow me to have more joy and freedom, why don't I take more of that now? And and that's that's been a, a a huge learning curve for me this year. So Catherine, I already know that your book is brilliant and it will change lives. Where can people come and find it? Because I I think you've got a special link for it. Yeah, we actually decided to gift this book out for free because we wanted to get this in the hands to as many people as possible. So if you just head over to um, it's not about the money.co.uk you can just grab a free copy of the book. We just simply ask that you cover the postage costs. And also inside the book, you'll also receive a a ticket to our event that we run quite frequently throughout the year, 
which will really help you to step into a position of creating more wealth, deserving more wealth, and then holding on to more wealth than you ever have before. The first of those events is going to be happening quite soon, isn't it? So um, if people are interested in that, then I would urge you to go and get yourself a copy now. Don't wait. It is an incredible book. I think the beginning of the year is a great time to get focused on what you want for yourself. And I know that for me, as I look at my business year ahead, I'm definitely thinking about the experiences I want to have in my personal life. And I think doing that that money work, and it's not about the money, it's about all of the other things around it, can make such a difference to your life and your business. So go grab that book. Thank you so much for coming on today, Catherine. Always a pleasure. And uh, is there anything that you would like to leave as a parting gift, a parting shot to my listeners today about the best ways to make sure that this is the year that they allow that wealth to come into their lives? I think the most important thing for me is to not not wait for that moment to become possible for you. No, not wait for that role model to come in front of you. No, you can be that wealthy woman and wealth is not just about the amount of money in your bank account. You know, it's about your overall well-being, your relationships, your health, everything becomes much more possible. So it's really stepping into that intention, but stepping into it as if it's already happened. You know, so if you want to move house and move countries, step into that gratitude mindset as if it's already happened. And that will just open up the possibility mindset, possibility thinking that this isn't for anybody else. This is for you. This is entirely possible for you to be in a position of financial empowerment and financial independence, not financial codependence. And this is completely possible for you. And that's really key. It is how you decide to allow this in your life. And if you don't have wealth, you might be thinking, "Mm, how can I just decide? Like that's impossible. That's why the emotional and trauma-based work is so important. I really believe in Catherine's work. Go get that book, get to her live event. You will not regret it. Over and out for today, people. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you've enjoyed this episode, I'd love you to come and let me know. And I'm going to just send a little invite to you in case you don't know about it. The community that I have over on Facebook is all about building, exploding your personal brand through podcasting, being a guest or being a host. We have some incredible entrepreneurs in there and I'd love you to come find us at the podcast community. That's it for today. Take care. Thank you for listening to Entrepreneurs Get Visible. To get your free checklist on how to raise your profile and to find out about our community, go to annaparkernaples.co.uk forward slash get visible.